0: Welcome back to the Card Anthology. My name is John or Orzov Dunn as I'm also known. Here to bring you an in-depth look into the mouth of madness so to speak as we'll be discussing the most broken set in Magic the Gathering history. Well, since Urza's Block, Mirrodin So please pay close attention because there will be a test after. Also, feel free to come and visit me on my YouTube channel, They Said We Said, for some more entertaining-ish magic content. Coach, roll that beautiful intro footage. mirrodin was released on october 2nd 2003. it was the 30th expansion first of the mirrodin block it was designed by lead designer mark rosewater mike elliott brian tinsman tyler bielman and bill rose serving on the development team was lead developer randy bueller brian schneider henry stern elaine chase brandon bozzi and brian tinsman the symbol of the set was the sword of cauldra Mirrodin had a total of 306 cards, which consisted of 110 commons, 88 uncommons, 88 rares, and 20 basic lands. It was sold in 15 card booster packs, and also included 4 themed decks, which were the Mono Green Wicked Big Deck, the Mono White Little Bashers, the Red Black Sacrificial Bam Deck, And finally, my personal favorite, the blue, black, bait, and bludgeon deck. This expansion was notable for being the first non-core set to feature the new modern card frame introduced in 8th edition. It was also Wizards of the Coast's first attempt at a pseudo-sci-fi based set where the entire world is based in a landscape that was completely metal. Although Urza's block was deemed the moniker of the Artifact Cycle, Mirrodin not only put heavy emphasis on Artifacts thematically, but mechanically as well. This led to a block that would later be regarded as one of the most powerful sets that almost, for the second time in Magic's history, led to a massive exodus of fans and players. The storyline of Mirrodin is centered around the character Gleesa Sunseeker, a rebellious, troublemaking elf who questioned the plane's elven traditions until her parents were murdered. Obsessed with finding her parents' killers, she sets out on the metal plane with thoughts of vengeance. The set had some unique creature types, with white focusing on Leonin, Loxodin, and humans for the Oriok tribe. Blue focusing on Vidalkin, a forearm blue-skinned race. Black was represented by the Dross, which contained zombies, humans, and Nim green with elves, beasts, and trolls, and finally, Red going a more traditional route with goblins, ogres, and humans from the Volshock tribe. A famous planeswalker Volshock named Koth would become one of the key characters later on in the Meriden storyline. Red also saw the return of the creature type Atog, with the reprinting of the classic Atog first seen in Antiquities, and Megatog, Atog's big scary uncle. Mirrodin introduced a number of new mechanics, including Affinity, Imprint, and Entwine. Mirrodin was also the debut of the artifact type Equipment. Equipment are artifact cards that can be attached to creatures you control. Unlike their blood-relative creature auras, Equipment does not automatically go to the graveyard if the creature it was equipping dies. Instead, it stays on the battlefield ready to put on for the next creature. This mechanic would revolutionize the game with some of the most powerful cards, like Lightning Greaves. This 2 costed equipment would go on to become a commander staple, granting the equipped creature Haste and Shroud for zero equip cost. Even unassuming cards like Bone Splitter were so powerful it became commonplace to first pick this common in the limited format. Affinity reduced the cost of the spell by the number of artifacts on the battlefield that you controlled. This mechanic birthed an entire archetype that is still one of the most powerful strategy played in the modern format today. The key to Affinity decks in their time in Standard were the Artifact Lands. Great Furnace, Vault of Whispers, Tree of Tales, Ancient Den, and Seat of the Synod. The fact that these lands counted as artifacts would essentially turbo-ramp your Affinity spells that led to their banning. These lands were what head designer Mark Rosewater stated were his biggest design mistake to date. Imprint was a mechanic that also saw its fair share of backlash. To imprint means you would remove a non-artifact, non-land card from your hand from the game. That card would be imprinted on the card. No card with imprint was more infamous than Chrome Mox, which was a zero-cost artifact that when you tapped it, you could produce one mana of the imprinted card's color. This was such an efficient mana rock that it received a Banhammer only a few months into its standard lifetime. The most fair mechanic was Entwine. A spell with Entwine would allow you to choose between two different functions on the card, as seen on Grab the Reigns. For four mana, you could threaten a creature by gaining control of that creature until end of turn and granting it haste. Or, you could sacrifice a creature to have the spell deal damage to target creature or player equal to the creature's power. However... If you played the Entwine cost of the additional two R, you could play both effects. The most powerful Entwine card was Tooth and Nail, a seven-cost green sorcery that allowed you to search your library for two creature cards and put them into your hand. Or you could put two creature cards from your hand onto the battlefield. For just two more mana, you could do both. There was the Clockwork Creature Cycle, which included Clockwork Beetle, Clockwork Condor, Clockwork Vorak, and the rare and most powerful creature in the cycle, Clockwork Dragon. These creatures had a 0-0 power and toughness, but would enter the battlefield with plus-one-plus-one counters equal to one less of their converted mana cost. When these creatures attacked, you had to remove a plus-one-plus-one counter from it. However, the uncommon Clockwork Vorak and the aforementioned Dragon had activated abilities to place plus-one-plus-one counters back on the creature. Mirrodin also introduced an entirely new creature type in Mirrors, which have since gained quite a cult following with players. These stoic, albeit cute little robots came with a cycle of their own as two costed 1-1 Mana Dorks, one for each color named Copper Mirror, Rust Mirror, Gold Mirror, Silver Mirror, and Leaded Mirror. Speaking of Mana Dorks, there was the Replica Cycle, five artifact creatures that also counted as more traditional creature types. These were three costly creatures with varying power and toughness. Like the spell bombs, you could pay mana and sacrifice for an effect. These creatures were named Soldier Replica, Nim Replica, Elf Replica, Goblin Replica, and Wizard Replica. Another five color creature cycle were the Sliths Slith Ascendant, Slith Bloodletter, Slith Firewalker, Slith Predator, and Slith Strider. These creatures appear to be ape-like humanoids that you could place plus one, plus one counters on every time they would deal combat damage to a player. Each different colored slith also had an additional ability, like Trample, as seen on Slith Predator, or Haste, as seen on the Slith Firewalker. These creatures made a huge impact on the limited format. The shards were an artifact cycle that you could pay mana and activation costs to tap to activate an ability. Skeleton Shard would allow you to return an Artifact Creature card from your Graveyard to your hand for 3 mana. The last notable cycle we'll discuss is the Talisman Cycle. These were two casting cost allied color mana rocks that would deal 1 damage to you if you tapped them for colored mana. You could, however, tap them for 1 generic mana for no penalty at all. The blue-black Talisman of Dominance and black-red Talisman of Indulgence in particular see moderate commander play due to providing some ramp to color combinations that lack mana acceleration. Now, let's take a look at some notable cards from Mirrodin, and believe me, for a set this powerful, this list is extensive. Ariok Still Shaper. A chase rare at the time of its release, this 1-1 for 1 and 1 white would lower the cost of your equipment cost by 1. Also, as long as the Steel Shaper was equipped, soldiers and night creatures you control gain plus one plus one. Bosh, Iron Golem, a focal point of the Mirrodin storyline. This golem would go on to be one of the most popular mono-red commander options. Chalice of the Void, a key piece in modern Eldrazi Tron. This artifact comes onto the battlefield with X charge counters whenever a player plays a spell with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on the chalice that spell is countered one of the most expensive cards to this day from the mirrodin set chromatic sphere an unassuming one costed common artifact has become a staple in the popper format played in mono green tron decks duplicant Another EDH Staple, a 6-cost artifact creature with imprint that would exile target non-token creature and would gain the power and toughness and creature type of the imprinted creature. A removal spell and clone wrapped up in one beautiful package. While we're on the subject of EDH staples, Mirrodin was the debut of the format for Mir Mana Rock, Gilded Lotus, Leonin Abunus, a 4-costed 2-5 that essentially granted the artifacts you control Hexproof. Living Hive. A 6-6 green elemental with trample. Whenever Living Hive deals damage to a player, you could put that many 1-1 green inset tokens onto the battlefield. There are few better feelings in life than hitting your opponent for 6 damage, then putting 6 1-1 creatures onto the battlefield. Loxodon Warhammer. The fact that this powerful of an equipment was an uncommon and not rare was a huge mistake and Warped Limited around it. The equipped creature would essentially gain lifelink, trample, and plus 3 plus 0. This card still sees moderate play in some life gain commander strategies. March of the Machines, a blue enchantment that would animate your non-creature artifacts by turning them into creatures with base power and toughness equal to their converted mana cost. I really get a strong Five Nights at Freddy's vibe from this card. Oh boy, Mindslaver, one of the most dangerous and infamous cards ever designed. You could sacrifice this artifact to gain control of target player's turn. This card led to decks like Mono Blue Tron executing an infinite combo known as the Mindslaver Lock. Even out powerful this card was, it did see a reprint in Standard years later in the Scars of Mirrodin block. This ability was also stapled on to Emrakul the Promised End in Eldritch Moon. This was the main reason why this creature was banned in its time in Standard. Oblivion Stone, an artifact that acts as a powerful board wipe. This card is included in many EDH decks, especially in colors that do not have access to mass removal. This card also has seen play in other Eternal formats. Proteus Staff, a must-include in blue decks for the Commander format until the Commander Tuck rule was revised. Still a powerful card, It's playability is taking a major hit since the ruling change. Seething Song, a mainstay in modern Storm decks. This card netted you 2 red mana by gaining 5 red mana for the cost of 3. This is one of the rare times red has ever seen a ritual type effect. Spike Shot Goblin, this goblin in Mirrodin's standard was particularly nasty when paired with cranial plating and other artifacts. I rode this strategy back in the day to many FNM victories, much to my opponent's dismay. Sylvan Scrying in its day was touted as one of the most efficient and powerful wild growth effects, allowing you to search your library for any land card and place it into your hand. This uncommon came with a hefty price tag until its eventual reprint in Oath of the Gatewatch. Wrench Mine is one of the most powerful and efficient underrated hand-destruction spells ever printed. Forcing your opponent to discard two cards from their hand unless they discard an artifact for only two black mana is brutal. This card sees play in the Tier 2 Modern deck, 8-Rack. Solemn Simulacrum is the last card on the list. This creature was a standard mainstay and has become an EDH All-Star for its ramping capabilities. The original art was modeled after Jen Thorin, who won the Magic the Gathering Invitational for the 2003 season. This card has gained the nickname Sad Robot for its name and melancholy expression. A sealed booster box of Mirrodin is worth around $350. So that is all we have for this episode of Card Anthology for Magic the Gathering. Thank you for joining me in discussing one of the most polarizing sets in Magic's history. I want to thank Coach for allowing me to bring you this episode and be part of this series. It has been a blast. And please come stop by and join me on my channel, They Said We Said, for some more Magic the Gathering content. So without further ado, here's Coach with the sign off. Thank you John for this very fantastic audio work that you have assembled for this craziness of an expansion set. I would definitely like to say make sure you hit that subscribe button to see more of the Card Anthology series, and make sure you head out to They Said We Said for more of John's awesome voice work. Be sure to follow us on Twitter by going to Coach at the Carbizarse CC, along with hitting up our sponsor 5-Color Combo for all your MTG accessory needs. They have brand new playmat designs for this month, along with some other MTG goodies. Make sure you also check out their game Info Town Bumpers, and while you're using their website, use the code TheCardBazaar to get a 5% discount on your total purchases. So head on over and go to fivecolorcombo.com today. If you missed our last episode over 8th edition, don't worry. Just click on that link in the video description to catch up on the series after this video. Our next episode will be over Dark Steel, so be on the lookout for that episode in the near future. That is all we have today, everyone. John and Coach signing out, and we will see you all next time.